His name was Billy, and he had grown to the advanced age of five. And he was in kindergarten one day, and he told his teacher, I'm so glad my name is Billy. And his teacher smiled and said, well, why? He said, because that's what everybody calls me. Everyone in this room has a name, and our name identifies us. One of the very first things we do when we meet somebody is we tell them our name. Our name is unique and special to us. Our name is very something that, that is very rich in our heritage and means so much to us. And so this morning, I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms 139, and we're going to talk a moment about how God knows you. And I think it will be a lesson that helps each of us. So good to have each of you with us today. What a beautiful, beautiful day God has given us. A great time to be together, a great time to worship. And to what Brother Zach says, we do echo that sentiment every Sunday, that Sunday is the best day of the week. And to his list, I would add, it means so much because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. It means so much to us because that's when the first gospel message was preached on a Sunday morning. It's a time that you and I get together. We remember, we reflect, and we observe the teachings of God's Word. And so we're so glad to have each of you with us. This evening, we're going to continue our series about Israel. There's a lot of stuff going on in the war in Israel. This is not a political lesson. It's a biblical lesson. We began this last Sunday evening, Jason and I. We kind of called our chair series, and we talked about Israel from the Old Testament. Tonight, we're going to continue that thought and talk about Israel from the New Testament. And we encourage you to come back and to look at some things together. Psalms chapter 139, let's grab the first 16 verses here. Psalms 139 and the first 16 verses. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overtake me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are like to you. You have formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they are all written, the days that were ordained for me, yet even not one of them. Verse 17 and 18 continuing says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would, be, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. We'll stop there for now. And, and what we want to look at as we talk about this this morning, we want to understand some concepts about this. Number one, to understand that God really knows you. 
Now, again, let's go back to those first verses there. Notice how he goes through this. He says, I know when you're sitting down. I know when you're standing. I know when you lie down. He says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say even before you say it. And what he's showing us here is how intimately aware God is of us. And that there's simply no escaping God. There's no place you can go in the universe, in the creation, that will escape God. Jesus would further add this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, so then do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows you. Jesus would also say later on, he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Something you and I don't know, God knows. And so we begin by this understanding that there's a divine intimacy with God. No one has known you longer than God has. You stop there and just think about that. You're growing up, your mom and dad, oh, they think they know you. But there's times you're not with your mom and dad. And then you go off to school. And then you have a job. And then you get married. And then you have kids. And all these relationships, they know pieces of us. But no one has been with you every single second. But God, God has seen everything about you, and God has always been there. There's never been a single moment of your life that God has not been there. When you go out for a walk by yourself, God is there. When you get in the car and say, honey, I'm just taking a drive, God is there. In the college dorm, sitting at the desk at work, he's seen every victory, he's seen every defeat of you. He's seen every good thing you've done, and he's seen every bad thing you have done. And so first and foremost, we need to understand, you don't surprise God. You don't shock God. God's not going to say one day, wow, I didn't know that about you. He knows it about you, because he's always with you. And that's just a profound thought to begin with. There are times when we have a hard time understanding one another. John Gray wrote a series of books to talk about communication and marriage. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The idea is we don't understand each other's language. One guy said, there's one thing I understand about women. I don't understand them. Well, the same thing can be said about men. But when you notice, God did not write a book for men. God did not write a book for women. God did not write a book for teens. God did not write a book for widows. God didn't say, you know what? Each of you is so different, you need a different message. God knows us, and he gave us that message. Secondly, God knows what you can do. And that's what verse 13 reminds us, that God formed us, and God made us this way. In verse 13, once again, of our context, he would say in this regard, he says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. And down in verse 16, your eyes have seen unformed substance, and your book, they're all written down. He knows what you are capable of because he has made you. And so when you say, I cannot forgive this person, God says, no, you can because I made you. God, I can't handle anymore. God says, yes, you can because I made you. God, this, this is the limit. I'm stressed out. I've got a check out. God says, no, because I made you. Don't give me more tasks, God, because I can't handle them. God says, yes, you can, because I know you. I have made you. 
You can keep going because God says so. And then he reminds us that God knows your future. He says here at the end of verse 16 of our chapter here that we're reading, he says, the days that are ordained for me. We don't know how many days that is. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, there's an appointment we have with God. As appointed man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. And so God knows your future. God knows how long you're going to be here. God knows all these things because God is the one who made you. Now, with this, you need to see. Not only does God know you, he still loves you, and he wants to be with you. In John chapter 14, Jesus would say, my father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you, I come again so you can be with me. I have prepared a place for you to be with me. And this is a difficult point because a lot of times we think if God really knew me, if you really knew me, you probably wouldn't like me. God says, I really know you. I know when you're standing. I know when you're sitting. I know when you're sleeping in church. I know when you're paying attention. I know what you're putting in your mouth. I know what comes out of your mouth. I know every single thing about you. And guess what? I still love you. And I still want to be with you. That's an amazing aspect of God. That's something that you and I just have a hard time understanding and appreciating. Writer C.S. Lewis said this in one of his books. He says, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work, or a father in his son, it seems impossible. But that's the picture of God we see in the scriptures. If that's the picture we have, it will change not only the way we see ourselves, it will change the way we see everything. Love changes us in a way that law cannot. And so we begin in Psalms 139 by understanding that God really knows you. And that's amazing, isn't it? You think about how many places you've been, how many thoughts have crossed that mind of yours, how many words have come out of that mouth, how many things you've done in 20 years, 40 years, 80 years. And the God of heaven says, I know you, I love you, and I want to be with you. Second thought, God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. And again, this is this concept we need to see as we talk about intimacy with God. I, I really appreciate the songs, as we read, especially that last one, talks about this intimacy with God. God's not interested in a one-sided relationship. I know you, but you don't know me. That's a one-sided relationship. It's kind of like a job interview. You go in for a job interview, and you're sitting down across from this guy, and he has a folder with your name on it. He has everything about your education, everything about all your work experiences. He has all this information about you, but you know nothing about him. It's kind of intimidating. That's not this relationship. God's not saying, I want to know you, but you can't know a thing about me. It's just the opposite. What God wants us to do is God wants us to know him. The writer Tozer said this, for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christians. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to mere principles, but they do not know him. And have you noticed how many hymns talk about this intimacy we have with God? Do you know my Jesus? Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. 
more, more about Jesus. Let me walk close to thee each day. Draw me nearer, nearer. Just a closer walk with thee. As the deer pants for the water. Now the running theme through all those hymns is, I want to know God. I want to be close to God. I don't want God locked in this church building and Monday through Saturday I don't think a thing about him. I come in here on Sunday and flip a switch and now I'm thinking about God till I leave this building. I want to think about God all the time. I need that relationship with him. And so we begin this by seeing God through scriptures. And this is why holding your Bible and reading that Bible is so important. Let's grab a couple of verses, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. How do I know God? He's revealed to us within his word. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You see that? Now, the rest of the verse talks about with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But that front part there, where does the word of God dwell? It's not in the book. It's in me. That's what he's saying. And after a while, the verses you underline in your Bible become underlined in your heart because they dwell within me. In the book of 1 John, if you will, 1 John chapter 2. Look at, let's look at two or three places here in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 6, 1 John 2, verse 6, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That's going to be one of the things that comes out. When I know God, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Continuing on, he would say in verse 14, the same chapter, I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who from the, was from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Where's the word of God? It is in you, he's saying. Then in chapter 4 of 1 John, look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so it's more than just being baptized. It's more than saying, I go to church every Sunday. It's more than just saying, I know a whole bunch of stuff about the Bible. It's the idea that I know God. It's a heart that says, I'm not satisfied with shallow, hollow, empty talk. It's a heart that says, I need more than spiritual junk food that feels good for the moment, but doesn't get me through the storm. It's a heart that recognizes the difference between happiness and lasting joy. Notice again in your Bible in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And notice verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 12. The apostle here as he's talking about his relationship with God. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard that which I entrusted to him until that day. I know him. You see that? That's more than saying, I know the books of the New Testament in order. 
That's more than saying, I can find Jerusalem on a map. That's more than saying, I have memorized a verse. I know him. I love the story of this girl who's in college. And she had a young college teacher, just a little bit older than she was. And she kind of liked that college teacher. But her assignment was to read this book. And it was so boring. And she sat in the library and fell asleep about three times. She took it to her dorm room. She fell asleep every time. She took it outside thinking the fresh air will help me. She fell asleep all every time. She said, I will never, ever read this book because it is so boring. But she noticed that the author's name was the same as this young professor she really liked. And she got talking to him and found out he wrote the book. And when she found that out, she started reading that book and she couldn't put it down. That's what happens when you know the author. There's a difference from knowing the book and knowing the author. And what we're seeing here is that wonderful emphasis upon that. Jesus would tell us in Mark chapter 12... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Heart means trust Him. Love God. Trust Him. When the storms come, trust Him. I don't see the outcome here, but God is someone I am going to trust. Soul means desire Him. I want to be with God. I want to do what God wants me to do. Mind is simply to know Him. And to, I did to love Him with strength means to serve Him. Serve God all the way that you can. And so the other way we get to know God is through prayer. And through prayer, again, we go back to our chapter in Psalms 139. Notice with me verse 17 and verse 18. Psalms 139, verse 17, verse 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. The very idea of power of prayer. God is already present in your life. It's not something he's coming into. He's already there. Prayer is not inviting God in. It's a chance to respond to that presence. The main purpose of prayer is not to get what you want. It's not to get blessings, but to know God. All relationships are based upon communication and trust. God talks to us through the Bible. We talk to him through prayer. I love the ancient definition that simply says what prayer is, is simply keeping company with God. Here's something that one of my favorite writers, Philip Yancey, wrote in his book about prayer. He says, I wonder what I would do if I was seated at a banquet table next, let's say, to Albert Einstein or Mozart. Would I chit-chat? Would I make a fool of myself? In prayer, I'm approaching the creator of all that is, someone who makes me feel immensely small. How can I do anything but fall silent in his presence? More, how can I believe that whatever I say matters to God? You ever had an experience like that? Somebody very famous, and you're with them, and you think, what in the world do I talk to them about? We lived in Kansas City. One of our members used to be a professional baseball player. He would take me to the game. I know baseball, I thought, until I sat next to him. And he would tell me little things here and there. And I was like, how do you know that? He said, Roger, I played the game. How do you know that? I would say, he said, I played the game. I thought I knew the game until I sat beside someone who actually had played the game. You're talking to the God of heaven. 
What do I say to him? How's your day? How's things up there today? And that can be very, very intimidating. But what we understand is that, number one, God wants you to talk to him. Multiple times, Jesus would say, pray this way. Do not be overburdened, but go to God in prayer. And when you pray, you understand that you're praying to God because he cares. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, he cares for you, casting all your anxiety. That's a prayer to him. He cares when you're discouraged. He cares when you're beat down. He cares when you feel like you can't go on. He cares when stress is greater than you can handle it. He cares when you cry. He cares when you open the door to temptation. God cares. And more than that, God is moved by our prayers. James says, the prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. It accomplishes much not because we get to hear our problems. We're talking to ourselves, but we're talking to the God of heaven. And so how do I know God? I know God through his scripture and by talking to him. And when you come to know God, your heart awakens to a brand new life. How amazing it is. You are never, ever alone. Ever. When you go have to have some tests, and you think there's no one going to be there that I know, God is there. When you're going through some hardships, you think no one in my family understands, God understands. You think, you know, this church, as big as it is, no one can care. God cares. And that's powerful. And then your character reflects the image of Jesus. The more I know Jesus, the more I know God, the more I want to be like him. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, we make it our ambition to please God him but then your soul bows in all of god how amazing he is and then your whole being stands on his promises and finally when we think about god knows you and you know god together you and god great things happen Hebrew writer would talk about this relationship. He equipped you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in the sight. Who's working in us? God is working in you. He's not doing it by yourself. Again, sometimes that's what we want to do. We want to throw up a prayer and say, God, here's my problem. Fix it. Oftentimes God says, I'm here to help you. We're going to work through this together. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 would say, for we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are working together with God. And so what happens when we do that, we see that the light is turned on in the dark world. We see that the words of grace and hope and forgiveness is shared with others. We become the feet, the hands, and the eyes of God. And what happens is burdens are lifted because we become the servants of God. What we see is love is expressed in a world that doesn't understand love because we are the servants of God. And what we see is lives change. All that happens because of God. And I am convinced the number of years I've been preaching that it's very easy for us to be a Christian 30, 40, 50 years and not know God. Things people say choices they make, moment of crisis, you begin to wonder, do you not know the God of the Bible? And I think Psalms 139 is such a helpful, helpful thing for us. 
And so we can put up with things for a moment because we will be with him for, forever. You can be sick for a moment because you'll be with him forever. You can be lonely for a moment because you'll be with him forever. You can endure for a moment because you'll be with him forever. You can struggle for a moment because you'll be with him forever. He knows you. What a great thought that is. Now, if you're not a Christian, that can be kind of scary. It can be kind of scary that you can say lies, you can have excuses, you can point your finger and blame the world, but God knows. God knows. And when you're not walking with him, that's scary. Because I'm not going to stand before the judgment seat of a court. I'm not going to stand before the judgment seat of a preacher or of a church. But the God of heaven who already knows everything about me. So when I say, God, it's not my fault, it's those dumb kids you gave me, he's going to say, wrong answer. God, it's not my fault, it's that loony church I was a part of, wrong answer. God, it's not my fault, wrong answer. But when you know God, you will not have a better friend in your life. You'll not have someone who's been more patient with you, blessed you more, loved you more, forgiven you more, and given you more second chances than God. And how comforting that is. You know the times I cried. You know the times when I was upset. You know the times when I wasn't doing what I should have been doing, and you didn't walk away from me, God. You stayed there. And I think when we get this understanding from a biblical perspective, how comforting it is to know most of you know my son Jordan preaches in Dallas. He calls me two or three times every single day. And, of course, when I get home at the end of the day, my wife will say, well, did you hear from Jordan? I say, yeah, two or three times. Well, how's the kids? I say, I don't know. We didn't talk about the kids. We're always talking about preaching. Because he understands, I understand preaching. But no one understands me, no one understands you better than God. And God loves you. Now I want to end by reading you something. This is an email I got this week. First of all, these things come almost weekly across our box. And it's very touching. It does a couple things for us. Number one, it reminds us as a congregation all the things we're sending out, how there's a lot of people out there we never know who it touches. I don't know who this man is. I don't even know where he lives. But this past week I wrote something in one of our blogs taken from Shannon's wonderful invitation the other day about the beauty of death. This time of year in Indiana, it's beautiful. All those leaves, they turn. But what those leaves are doing is those leaves are dying. You come back here in July and, and you come back here in June, those leaves don't look that way. They're green. But as they die, they turn colors. And then they fall off. And there's a beauty in death. And I wrote about that. And so here's what this man wrote to me this week. He says, thanks so much for this jump start about the beauty of death. My wife is on the downhill side with terminal cancer, but on the uphill side headed home. People want to say how sorry they are or we're sorry, and I first tell them, do not use that word. We instead say, what a blessing. She's been, and what a great blessing she continues to be, and an example to others. I've listened to her phone conversations with different people, and it brings tears to my eyes, the encouragement and the uplifting message that she shares. The trial has strengthened me, 
and I've not missed one Sunday service through all this ordeal. I told her just last week, my prayer is that she goes in her sleep and passes peacefully into the night. I'm grateful that we've had this time together to plan things, to talk about these things, and even to plan a celebration of her life. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. I know the last leaf will fall, and yes, it will be sad, but it will also be known It'll also be the joy knowing that she's gone heaven-bound. You see, when you know the Lord, all you're doing is switching rooms. And the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you in your health, in your sickness, in your death, in your passing through that door, and on the other side. To know the Lord. God knows you. The question is, do you know Him? And when you come to know Him, you understand that he is God, and he has a way, and his way has to be the way, because he is God. We're not going to play with his rules. We're not going to change his word. We're not going to alter things. Why? Because he is God, and when I know him, I understand that. There's a huge movement today of just wanting to make worship nothing more than fun and games. Let's walk in with cotton candy and elephants, and let's blow the trumpets, and let's just have a wonderful, wonderful time. We would feel wonderful about that. But when I know God, I ain't going to do that. He doesn't want that stuff. He's not interested in the external. He's interested in the internal. He's interested in what, what you're singing today. He's interested in what you're thinking today. And he knows your thoughts even right now. Some of you might be thinking, wrap this sermon up, preacher. Come on. He knows that. He knows what I'm going to say even before I say it. He knew I just was going to say that. He knows that. And he knows more than anything else that he wants you to know him. He wants you to feel comfortable with him so that when you talk to him, you're not scared. That when you come to him and say, God, please forgive me, you'll be able to ask that without fear. When you say, God, thank you, he knows that comes from the bottom of your heart. What a blessing to say, I know God. And I think that's what Psalms 139 is teaching us. This morning, if you don't know him, we'd love to help you. If you want to get together and open that book up, talk a little bit more about God, we'd be glad to do that. Maybe one among us says, you know what, I've been sitting in churches a long time, but I really don't know God. Well, maybe it's time you got to know him. And how you do that is through prayer and through the reading of his word. And see these things. When we talk about Abraham going to a place he did not know where he was going, God knew where he was going. We talk about Noah and that big old ark. God knew what he was doing. We talk about Daniel and the lion's den. God knew what he was doing. And God knows what he's doing with you. And every time you think, you know what, why am I working at this stinky job? I don't like this place. Maybe God says, I want you at that stinky place because you are light into a world that's dark. And we say, well, well, how come all these people in my neighborhood, they're just, they're just terrible people. Maybe God wants you in that neighborhood to show people the way that Christ wants you to be. God knows you. And God is with you. If you've never been baptized, you need to, because that's the Bible way. If you can, won't you come as we stand and we sing.